Hi, and welcome to the Dark Industry Podcast, season number four. The Dark Industry Podcast is a collaboration with the Programmers of Color Collective and What's Up With Dogs. It is funded by Creative Europe, the City of Leipzig, the BKM and MDM. We thank our partners and supporters for their contributions. Hey, and thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. This episode of the Dark Industry Podcast is brought to you in cooperation with Mubi. Mubi is a global streaming service, production company and film distributor dedicated to elevating great cinema. Mubi is a place to discover ambitious films by visionary filmmakers, all carefully chosen by Mubi's curators. Mubi now also cooperates with cinemas on the Mubi Go project. With Mubi Go, members receive a free ticket every week to experience a new hand-picked film at the cinema. This way, you can be among the first to watch films like Asteroid City, Barbie and Past Lives at the cinema for free. The MovieGo offer is currently available to the members in Germany, the UK, the US and India. As a dog industry listener, you can try Movie, including MovieGo in the aforementioned territories for 7 days free of charge at movie.com and movie.com slash go. This offer is available until the 31st of December 2023. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. Let's go! Welcome everyone. I'm thrilled to welcome you to this episode uh, for Doc Leipzig entitled Animating the Documentary. Um, my name is Maria Cristina Villasenor. I'm a writer, media curator, and programming director of the New York International Children's Film Festival. I'm very honored today to have speaking with us two amazing co-directing teams, Camrish Johnson and Pedro Piccini, who are the co-directors of the beautiful award-winning short film Grab My Hand, A Letter to My Dad, and also Jorge Villalobos and Carlos Hagerman, the co-directors of the award-winning feature film, Home is Somewhere Else. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Thank you so much. It's so great to have all of these voices joining us from um, across the U.S. and uh, across North America, um, and also to be recording this um in in germ via germany um so welcome from mexico welcome from la welcome from new york <laughs> um and it's also a thrilling um opportunity to um speak in various languages as you'll soon be hearing from uh home is somewhere else um and to be you know talking about these um not only cross-cultural stories and important stories in terms of representation but also artistically really fascinating um, explorations of animation and documentary, looking at those terms, looking at what they mean and having, I think, some really fruitful conversations. So what I want to do to ground you all as the listeners um, in this uh, conversation is to just play a couple of uh, short clips from both works. Um, I Obviously, you won't um, be seeing the visual component, but I'm sure that um, you're going to be wanting to check out links and find out more. Um, but already, um, you'll, you'll sort of get such a wonderful sense of these pieces from these short clips. So I'm going to start with uh, Grab My Hand, A Letter to My Dad. The most valuable lesson my dad has ever taught me was actually the most recent one. My dad met my uncle Dwayne in middle school. No blood relation, but he's part of my family. And every single morning since they were kids, my uncle will call my dad and say, Gate's it! It's my uncle's way of making sure my dad is what he calls out the gate, meaning alive, awake, and on his way to work. Gate check, old man. They heard a joke in a movie once that sparked the idea, and eventually, Gate check, fool! became their daily routine, their best bud wake-up call. 
So over the years, through weddings, graduations, birthdays, divorces, and all of the many things life would throw at us, my dad's one constant was those two words. Gate check. <laughs> all right, gate check. You know that old saying, you are who you surround yourself with? That must make my dad a pretty hilarious, compassionate, giving superhero who makes mistakes just like anybody else. Because that's my Uncle Dwayne. They're two superheroes that don't have it all figured out, but they'll never let you know that. Because whatever you need, even if they don't know how to get it, they'll find a way to help. That's what superheroes do. All right, grab my hand, a letter to my dad. Um, and next, I'm going to play uh, a clip from the trailer for Home is Somewhere Else. Lo que les voy a mostrar, perhaps you've never seen. Three stories and a millions of others. I was five or six. My mom woke me up in the morning. Le dije, vamos, porque tu papá parece que lo agarró la policía. Mexico and see Roma because that means I will have to cross the border again. I couldn't like I was shaking, I was I was crying, I was throwing up, I was, I was so scared. I was raised deep in the Utah mountains where the Provo River flows. Tell you about mi gente, the undocumented. All right, home is somewhere else. Um, so these films are so resonant on so many levels. Um, they're such innovative approaches to documentary filmmaking, nonfiction filmmaking. Um, and visually, they uh, take an entirely new tack to um, what the potential of nonfiction filmmaking can be. So let's start off by um, just focusing on the stories themselves and how they came to life in terms of um this uh, realization through film, but also through this uh, creative collaboration um, in um, the film team. So let's start off with you, Cameras, and this very personal and um, imaginative story that you chose to tell through Grab My Hand. Yeah. Uh, first, it's very good to see you, MC. Um, my friend, big fan of you, as you know. And it's also very good to see my co-director and buddy, Pedro. We, this film came out now four years ago, so it's just really great to see that we're still being able to talk about this thing together. Um, yeah, so Grandma and a Letter to My Dad came about in a funny way. I was working as a waiter at a restaurant uh, for exactly four weeks. I was not cut out for this job. And Pedro was, uh, he would be, he'd come in every other day. And he was just a very cool guy. So on my very last day, I said, hey, man, you're cool. We should be friends. And 
what do you do? He said, I'm an animator. And I said, oh, cool. I've always wanted to make an animated short, which was not true. Um, but <laughs> I, I really wanted to work with him. So I pitched him some ideas and we came up with this really cool um, short called Blue. And we started working on it together and it was going to be like my first you know, sort of stint in animation. So Pedro was sort of holding my hand through the process. And then suddenly my dad's best friend and my uncle Dwayne passed away. So I was talking to Pedro throughout the entire time he was in the hospital, like, man, I really want to make something for my dad. Um, he doesn't really show his emotion very well. So I wanted to create something that could force a Southern military black man to um, emote. <laughs> and I wrote this script. It was about 10 pages long, uh, dialogue and characters and scenes and all kinds of stuff. And I sent it to Pedro. I was like, what do you think? Do you think I could get someone to make this with me? And Pedro was like, this is great. There's no way you're going to get this done <laughs> fast and cheap. So Pedro was like, what if we did this other style of animation that was all narrated? So he said, just write what you're trying to say. And if you want to do it like this, Pedro said, I've, I've always, I don't want to mean to speak for you, but he said, I've always wanted to make a short film like this. So if you're down to create this sort of like run and gun, raw, you know, narrated piece, um, write what you're, what you're trying to say, send me the audio, send me some suggestions and some shot list of what you're thinking of. And then I'll just sort of take over from there. And Pedro, I don't know if you want to speak to that, but I sort of called it like free animating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically it, it was a, it was a funny process, you know, from, from, uh, uh, different perspectives, like one, uh, cameras, you know, this guy that we've, we've been connecting pretty well, like I said, when the previous shot we're working on blue. But then, you know, it was a new relationship. And then out of a sudden, I get this, like, extremely personal, you know, content coming from him. It's like, hey, guy, do you want to, you know, go deep into my family, <laughs> uh, like, personal history and just, like, work on this with me? So that was, you know, that was big for me. And I, I thought it was awesome. And then um, there was the question of time, too. Um like like Hammer said, we wouldn't be able to do anything, you know, that involved character lines and like character like lip syncing or anything like that. And that goes back to uh, our exchange in like say uh, like just write what you're trying to say. And I think that's how we approach the animation as well. So that I I believe like what I like to think our animation is more we're illustrating concepts and not you know we're not describing things. We're mm -hmm. we're just adding a, a different layer of feeling sort of you know so to speak to to the end to the story and it was super fast you know we had we wanted to get his dad at that most vulnerable moment you know uh and i wanted to to be special for for his family it was like a a, a gift to a friend basically but we mm -hmm. wanted to do it right um yeah and i we, you know no go ahead i i, I actually I, yeah i didn't want to be like insensitive or you know offensive in any way i was just trying to to make it right but with the time that we had so that's yeah, but, but yeah by the time that ahead, we had Thomas. he means we, we finished this in like two months <laughs> it was like two <laughs> to three months yeah it was that's very cool. very fast yeah i was working at the time so it was like you know doing my free hours just exchanging emails with cameras like what do you think of this okay now i'm gonna, I'm gonna execute you know it was like really really fast but also very rewarding too yeah. There are two things that you said, Pedro, that I want to call out. Um, one is um, talking about animation as um, another layer of feeling 
over this very personal story, mm -hmm. um, true to life story that Camrys uh, wanted to tell. And the other of it as of your work as an animator back to um, Camrys, the filmmaker, um, as a gift to him. So I think those are really uh, beautiful ways to um, talk about this sort of exchange of creative minds. Um, and I also love that we're starting out with you um, talking about um, making this very deep, um, obviously important, personal, but also very significant in terms of what you were saying, Cameras, of, um, you know, masculinity and sort of getting at um, sharing emotion, um, the rep positive representation of Black male stories. Um, you know, this is really deep film. And you're talking about it in this very offhand, like, let's just do this. Let's get this done. Let's bang it out. So I love that approach. And I think it's also like probably going to be a little bit of a counterpoint to um, now Carlos and Jorge talking about their project. Um, and they have a, um, <laughs> which I think is absolutely beautiful um, and is, you know, the best way to kind of share these stories with everyone is that you can approach them in so many different ways. Um, so I want to now um, flip this over to you, Carlos, and have you introduce um, yourself and Jorge and I know that you have, um, you know, a depth of experience in documentary that was not necessarily animated. So if, if you could maybe introduce a bit more about Home is Somewhere Else and you and Jorge and your relationship creating this work um, in that way. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I'm, we're really thrilled to be here. And, uh, and I, I was very surprised when I saw uh, Cameron's film uh, because of the kind of the emotional, really getting into that uh, feeling. And I completely agree with that approach to documentary filmmaking. Uh, uh, I think that uh, both of our films in, in very different, because this is not our stories. These are stories of three immigrant families in, that live in the US, Mexican families with mixed status. And it's basically a film about family and about what it means to live, uh, being afraid of family separation. Uh, what we have found through uh, the experience of showing this film in many places is that the emotionally, the animation plus the very uh, sincere or very real uh, tale especially in, uh, told by the protagonist of the of their own stories is very powerful um, um, I, I am Carlos Hagerman I'm co-director and producer of Homie Somewhere Else and uh, I have um, been doing documentaries for almost 15 years and this is my first documentary short uh, feature uh, no this is my first animated feature and the first time that uh, our studio we are partners Jorge Villalobos and I we co-directed this film together and Jorge has uh, a lot of experience many years of experience in animation and we got together and uh, we tried to make uh, an animation studio that would have as a mission uh, to use animation as a tool to tell important stories. Um, we are kind of more into like helping, uh, helping organization. We started helping organizations on telling things uh, 
that uh, they wouldn't tell in in animation because maybe the budgets didn't they didn't have enough budgets, but organizations that dealt with uh, uh, human rights uh, and also, um, especially in Mexico, we we were working with uh, uh, the Commission of Defense of Human Rights a lot, and we sort of got kind of this uh, way of how do you tell these really dark stories and and put them out there so that people can see them and how that is important as well. Um, and then Homie Somewhere Else uh, started um, with the experience of Jorge, so I'll let him tell a little bit about the story of that. Um, hello again, Jorge Villalobos here in... Valle de Bravo in Mexico, um, where we have our studio, Brinca. And um, we've been working in Brinca since 11 years ago. Um, I think we, from the start, Carlos and I knew uh, that we wanted to use animation to talk about uh, some things that maybe in in other way can be more difficult or no i'm going to put it in another way i think animation is the best way to talk about some things it it makes easier to approach audiences because some of these matters are like very hard or very sensitive so um even though we didn't knew when we founded our studio that we, we were going to make an animated documentary. Uh, I think that in some way we were working on this, like in a maybe subconscious level. And then um, I think another thing that helped build this story is like the very long story of our friendship. We've been friends for more than 30 years, which is a long, long time. And so we, I think we know each other so good and we know what we like and what we don't like. And Carlos, it's more oriented to documentary and I am more oriented to, to animation. So it's maybe like two slow trains that were going forward and then they collided in slow motion. And then this movie came from this slow cook explosion to put it in a strange way but uh i think if we didn't knew each other so good it would be very difficult to make something as complicated as an animated documentary um in talking about more specific uh, things how this story came out even though we were always looking for stories that we thought that matter to the community or to the society. Uh, five years ago, I was living in, in Miami and there, uh, Donald Trump, that year, the, the, the year I arrived to Miami, Donald Trump uh, won. And then the narrative of migration and deportation became very aggressive and, it, and very big and very notorious. So everyone was talking about this. So Obviously, I, I, I had the proximity and the opportunity to 
living there to be in touch and to meet these families who were living this kind of circumstances. Um, and I think that when uh, when I talked the first time with Jasmine, that is the the protagonist of the first story of the film, she was 11 years old. And when she told us her story about being a U.S. citizen, but being afraid of losing her parents at any moment, when we uh, listened like this very powerful mixture of a very clever girl, a very brave girl, but also she was 11. She was very uh, naive. I don't know what's the word, like uh, ingenuidad, like uh, she was a small kid. I think this mixture made something very powerful. And then we saw her drawings that she made the first day we met, because that was like the way to began to know each other. I told her, why don't we draw something before I'm before starting to ask you things that are very complicated. Let's play a little. And so when we saw her drawings and we had like this voice, like something like make a, a click. And we said, this, this can work to have the voices of, of these families, but trying that all the visual is like if we, we were getting inside their heads, like uh, trying to use animation to increase the subjectivity of the of what they're telling, even though you always are told that documentary is the objective, the, the objectivity of the, but I think that's not, I think you can play with that. I think you can respect the truth, but you can make more layers. You can like make more to enrich the narrative. I don't know if that's correct, like to make it richer. And I think that the animation is a very, very powerful way to, 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 it's, it's like if you are hearing some, someone and the animation is like the subtext of what they are saying. So I think we discovered that and we knew in that moment we, we wanted to make this bigger, uh, not just uh, because first we made just a two minute clip of Jasmine, but then when we saw the, the results, we knew we we could make this into a feature film, and that's where this adventure began. Fantastic! I love the way that you are describing um, creating animated documentary as a point of um, entry for an audience, and and thinking about um, that receptivity. Um, and I'd love to just kind of open this up to our listening audience, um, and. Um, just think a little uh, imaginatively about these terms. And so I'd love to just kind of go around to you all and um, ask you to uh, respond with a few associative words when we talk about documentary. So let's just start with that term, documentary. Reality. When you are, you become a vehicle for other people's stories. Adrian. I mean, yeah, I think, yeah. Both these, um, on my point of view, sorry, it's um, documentary. Just go back to documenting. You know, uh, documenting might be, it might be facts, might be reality, but also a point of view. Um, after all, you know, movie. If, if we're showing something through a camera, there's editing, anyways. You know, there's no, it's not all the all the truth that is in the world, but it's also our take on the reality. That uh, we want to share. 
Yeah, I guess the documentary makes me think the words raw, gritty, uh, personal, and heartfelt. I feel like you can't really get closer to an individual and their story outside of a documentary. So, yeah, I, I would add like uh, paying attention, like, like see and listen, uh, contrary to animation where everything is about creating and proposing and talking and drawing. I think an documentary is about being receptive about something that's happening outside of you, maybe. Yeah, documentary is very much about listening, I think. Um, being able to take a moment to hear about someone else's quite personal story, oftentimes. Um, to your point, I think when it comes to animation, it's a beautiful way to tell a story. But I think documentary is a beautiful way. I guess this might be a little confusing, but I guess as an audience member, watching animation can be a lot more fun and takes less responsibility because there's so much more to um, look at. There's so many more things to distract you from the from the the theme or the pain in it. Where in documentary, you're sort of forced to sit there and sit in their pain with them for a bit. So it's a bit more empathetic of a art style. Empathetic, interesting. Um, and Cameras, uh, you you have a storied career as an actor, as a filmmaker, as a script writer, um, and also as an animated filmmaker um, because you've continued to work in this medium. So um, let's move it over to there. What, is, what does animation mean to all of you? Good question. I think um, animation, there's, there's truly nothing like it. Um, I forget what my quote was when I spoke at the uh, New York International Children's Film Festival, but it was something like um, animation gives you the ability to put your heart on screen exactly how you imagine it. And there's something about the art form that is just so specific and, and I don't know, the, the, I want to almost use the word perfect because <laughs> you can truly redraw it and recolor it and re-edit it over and over again as long as you want until you like or like that's that's it that's exactly how i see it where there's not many art forms you can do that and show it like showcase it to such a large audience um so although i come from the live action world and i, and I continue to work in the live action world i do have such a, a huge love for animation so i guess words that come to mind would be some of the many i just said <laughs> which would be, um, I guess, specific um, and I guess perfect. I mean, I, I hate using that mm -hmm. word, but it's it, it truly is true because the thing about animation is that you can, it's so much easier to hide the medicine and the orange juice. It's so much easier to like, <laughs> you know, tell the viewers one thing, but they don't realize that they're listening to it. And I, I always go back to when I was watching the first episode of Static Shock, which is one of my favorite animated shows growing up. And you know, as a kid, I'm watching this show because it's about a black nerdy teenager that gets electricity powers. And like, that's why I'm watching the shows because he's a superhero. But and upon reflection as an adult, the first episode, he got his superpowers because the police shot a smoke bomb and hit all this gas to, to break up a gang fight, which is just like, <laughs> like I'm learning so much about his environment and like, you know, where he's living and, and the, the circumstances of 
not coming from a lot of money and all those things, but I'm distracted by the fun and the color and the superpowers. And there's another episode about, you know, a, 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 a school shooting. But again, like as a kid, I wasn't realizing the things that I was learning because I was distracted by the perfection of the animators and the directors and the writers creating this beautiful world that distracted me from the things that they were actually teaching me. I just didn't realize Anyway, I think the, the first word that comes to my mind is playfulness. Um, I think that's one of the things I've always loved about animation. Watching it, obviously, when you're a kid, you are like playing in your head. Like it's like so much fun. Uh, generally, of, of course, there's other animation that can go very dark. But when you're a kid and you're seeing It's like something that it's always surprising you. And I think that that like tells you if, if watching it is that fun, maybe you can do it. Then you discover it's not that fun as, as watching it. <laughs> it's not that easy. But, yeah, but, but there's always this element of playing. And that's something Carlos and I talk a lot uh, about making this is let's have fun. Let's... Uh, We are, we, neither of us are animators. I, I, I direct animation, but I'm not a, an animator per se. But we like a lot of uh, to, to play with images and references. And I think that this freedom where you cannot make a mistake when you're animating, when you're making, when you're interviewing someone with a, in a documentary, you can make it very wrong and blow up the whole conversation. But when you are animating, you cannot go wrong. Because you just, you can erase or you can use the mistake or so. I think that that freedom of let's do and let's go wherever we want to and let's have fun. Um, I think for me, it's one of the things I love most about animation. Yeah. Uh, for me, if, if one more comes to mind when I think of animation, it's, it's possibility in the sense of, You know, through animation, the same way as painting and, and other graphic arts, you can you can represent something that doesn't necessarily is not subject to reality, right? It's not subject to the physics of our real world. It, it doesn't depend on something that already exists to be captured. So it, it's it's like the shortest um, path from something that's inside your head to someone else's you know and then that's still open to interpretation so they can see whatever blob or whatever thing that you make and come out with their interpretation out of that of course you, you do have uh you know abstract and experimental films that you know like live action films but i feel like animation can uh contrary to maybe i think sorry Um, live action films, I think, is already subjected to a few rules, right? If you see someone making something abstract, there's like a, a material that will dictate a sort of interpretation that you will have out of that, right? Like you look at something and you understand, like you're, you're living the world helps you understand what that is, you know, and make your own assumptions while animation, the only limitation is your technique, I think, or the techniques of whoever you're collaborating with. So, sorry if I made it extra confusing, but that's a that's a you know, that's, that's, that's the cool thing about yeah. animation. <laughs> <laughs> it can be confusing. Yeah. 
still be cool, you know. That to me is the best way to, you know, talk about art. It should be confusing. It should be, you know, crystal clear and confusing at the same time because it's generative, right? And you want to inspire that in your audience. Yeah. For me, uh, animation is uh, the fantastic possibility of creating a metaphor of reality. So uh, the metaphor, it's you have to choose a graphic style for the for your animation. You're creating a world. That's already a metaphor. But you can also use narratively metaphors, which creates uh, eerie images or you know nightmarish images uh, that can relate to what the character is actually feeling. And I think that that's that's beautiful. Because um, uh, when, like, fiction is stuck with uh, imitating reality, and it takes a lot of energy for that imitation of reality to take place. Uh, and the documentary world, you are you are there with the protagonist of their own stories, uh, even if you yourself can be that protagonist of, of that story, but you are there with them. So there is all the energy can go into the narrative and you, you don't have to convince people, okay, well, this is this character and this is his house or her house. You're already seeing it. But by seeing, by, by creating such a real context, uh, also, also what happens to documentary is that people enter documentary and say, well, this is not my life, you know? Mm-hmm. This is his or her life, and this is his or, or her reality. And you can get detached of that reality. Um, and then in animation, uh, there is like like all filters, you know, all your shields, you, you kind of take them out because, you know, animation comes from, of, from that early experience, as Cameron said, of, of what was it as a kid watching animation? And in an, in an animated movie, you can have the characters start singing and, and you can then learn the song by heart. And then, you know, wonderful things can happen. Imagination can happen. And it's all about how do we enrich the narrative of what we're trying to say and how we go into what's really happening inside the character. That, that's what I feel that animation. So when you have documentary and animation, it seems like it's like oil and water. They're not going to mix, you know? Uh, but I always say that, yeah, you know, but it's more like oil and vinegar, you know? And then you mix them and it it's more tasty uh, than just vinegar or just oil. You know? I hope it is better than just oil. <laughs> I knew you're going to go with that uh that very great um alchemical sort of um metaphor so thank you for bringing it back to the idea of metaphors and kind of charging something I love that um and maybe this is a good moment to talk um in with more specificity about home is somewhere else because uh it's a really intriguing approach to telling um, these three very um, important and moving stories about um, undocumented families in the U.S. Um, And it's done importantly in three different animation styles. So um, 
if you could talk a bit about the genesis of that and also um, bring it back a little bit to the way that um, Jorge, you were speaking about um, drawing or animation sort of being this initial point of entry with your first subject, Jasmine. So tell us a little bit about um, honoring the subjects in your film and communicating through this um, visual approach and how you went about deciding on the three different animation styles for these three different stories in the film Home is Somewhere Else. Yes, as, as I was telling uh, briefly before, uh, the visual style for Jasmine's story was very natural, very, it felt very organic. It was even very easy because when you see her drawings and you hear her voice and everything match perfectly and, and you are seeing the, the, you're like seeing the world through how Jasmine saw the world. She painted the hands in a very peculiar way. And always the hands, the legs and the arms were like spaghettis and everything was like very uh, simple. Um, but also that became a, a big challenge for animators because there was very little elements. I mean, the, the heads, there was no noses. So when you have a profile, there's no nose. So it was very challenging also to make it animated. But but in terms of the visual style, it, it felt very natural. and. What we like about that was that it it uh, made the personality of Jasmine like bigger. I think that you understood her better when you saw this these drawings, and then that set like the bar for the styles of the other two stories, which didn't came out so easily. It there was it was more trying to think how can I represent visually two sisters that are for a way that haven't seen each other in a long time. And I think we had, we were very lucky in, in that sense because um, Carlos uh, accidentally get into a museum and saw this painting of Aura Moreno Lagunes, which is a, a, a painter from, a woman painter from Querétaro, who has been painting portraits of women all of her life. And she, has this watercolor technique and she puts objects to the portraits like pieces of cloth and pins and metal. And so it was like something like uh, a little bit like Chagall, like something a little bit dreamy and very poetic and very lyric. So also I think that uh, we were all the time very... Um, Paying attention, and I think that when Carlos saw that and something connected, like we we always try to listen when you have when there's something that you like in the in that moment, we generally try to go in that way because there's something that clicked. So we went with that style, which I think it worked uh, beautifully. Um, and then the style for for the third story of uh, Lalo, which is a story more like an anti-hero. It's a more very dramatic story. And um, and we knew we, uh, in, in the same way that stories are like ascending in a dramatic way, each time they are getting a little bit more, uh, the, the narrative is more, uh, not only the narrative, but the story, it's more complicated and there's more drama in the stories. We also wanted to that the visual style had like this 
development that it grows. So if you're beginning with a, a drawing with Crayolas and color pencils, and then you have like watercolor, we knew the third one had to be like a, a little bit higher. That's the style that has Carlos uh, besides him in the poster that is more like a graphic novel style with very bold uh, and very more aggressive uh, strokes of the pen with more contrast in the color. And so that, that was a work done by Alonso Ross, which is a artist that works with us and he makes a lot of graphic novel. So we wanted like that kind of, of static, like graphic novel and also a little bit more cinematographic in the sense of the camera angles and the movements and the depth of, of focus. And uh, so it was, again, very fun to, to find all these uh, visual styles. And did you um, think at some point about how these different visual styles um, and uh, they're also, th so the three different stories um, focus on um, young people of different ages and ranges. Did you think about how those different visual styles would communicate to an audience? Um, I'm curious about just opening this up as well to this conversation of how you create a point of entry for um, these, these true to life tales through the audience. Um, how did that affect um, how you thought about showcasing this film? Well, we we always wanted uh, for this film to go to a broader audience than, than the audience that usually watches documentary. And we wanted also to be available for younger audiences. Uh, uh, that was one of the reasons we chose animation to tell these stories. Uh, we we thought that if we're going to tell stories from the young uh, members of these families, from their perspectives, we should be able to tell it also to young people and have them put themselves in the shoes of this protagonist and and that in a younger age, uh, especially in your teenage years when, when you are developing your social identity, I think it's very powerful because then you will see these families in a different way from, from that moment on. So we also were preparing this film uh, uh, from, the, from its origins and from, from, their from the conception of the film to be also a tool for schools to talk about these issues um, and so that uh, you could have a discussion uh, of, of these themes through the, the, the experience that these animations give to you. And I think that that is something that animation kind of opens up, you know, like, like uh, I think it's very uh, valuable that you get a wider audience for these stories. Absolutely. And Camrus, I'd love to bring it back to you um, in thinking about um, sharing this, this tale of a father and son and uh, what you thought about uh, in terms of it communicating to an audience and maybe a little bit about your experiences afterward, which have just kind of gone on and on. And here we are. So yeah, share. Yeah. I, it's funny because I, you know, me and Pedro never planned to put this in festivals or have it in theaters. I mean, the whole plan was 
to show it to my dad. And then after he watched it, it was kind of like, all right, we did it. <laughs> so we showed it to my dad and him and I cried and we hugged and had our moment. And then I sent it to my aunt whose um, you know, ex-husband ended up passing away and my cousins who he was the father of. And they were really inspired by it. And it actually inspired them to open up a nonprofit, which was really nice in honor of him. Um, but then, you know, after me and Pedro made it, I was already like, all right, Pedro, let's go make that first short we're going to make. And Pedro was like, I have to go work now and make money. So, so <laughs> we never got a chance to do it. So I just showed a couple of friends and I was like, hey, guys, like I made this thing for my dad over the past few months. If you want to check it out. And to my surprise, all of them cried and they were all very different ages and races. And, you know, it just it was interesting to me to see that my my friends who had never met my dad um, connected with this, this story that felt so personal to him. So I truly just started submitting it to festivals to try to get Pedro some love because he, you know, did so much incredible work on it. And then when I started submitting it, it asked who the director of it was. And I was like, director. Huh, I don't know. <laughs> so I asked Pedro, like, hey, man, who directed this? I mean, this isn't really a short film, but like if I start submitting it, I have to call it that. So who is the director? And he was like, uh, I mean, both of us, I guess. I was like, yeah, OK, cool. And I started submitting it. And then to both of our surprises, it just sort of went everywhere. It, it sort of accidentally became our directorial debut and started you know, winning all these awards, which is really, really incredible. Um, up until this year where we won the the Amplify Award at the uh, at Sundance through their partner, the um, the Windriders Summit. So for four years straight, I think at this point it's gone to over a hundred festivals. It's won over twenty awards. Um, yeah, so it's been lovely. And Pedro, I don't know how your experience has been. I know for me, I've been sort of like in it for the past four years, but um, every now and then I've just been like, "Hey, man, we we won another award. Hope you've been well." <laughs> so. Like, I wonder how that's been for you since you worked on it so long ago. Yeah. And I'm just going to give a little shout out to the New York International Children's Film Festival where hey. they won the um, Oscar qualifying jury award. So it sure did. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Pedro, yeah. What's what's that been like for you? I just I'm so enamored of this idea of it as a gift. And but clearly it it touched such a nerve, um, I think, of people wanting to to have a place to express emotion and, and especially in that father son relationship. Um, tell us um, how this unexpected um, and, but much merited success was for you in connecting with audiences and your intent. Um, it was, it was crazy. Like Cameron said, you know, it was what started with, you know, just basically like two boys laying on their stomach, you know, like doodling in a, in a sketchbook and like, Oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? You know? And in the end, we were like on a stage for talking to people about what we did, <laughs> something that, you know, you completely didn't expect. And, you know, and then there's that professional kind of the, the part of my ego that speaks loud, like, well, oh, but like, I, I made it in such a hurry, you know, like, is it true <laughs> that people are like, really like this? You know, like, I, I really believed in the story and I thought it was beautiful because like, you know, on camera's part, it was just like, man, this is deep and I hope I didn't botch it for everybody. So when I, I saw the reactions and like how people connected to it the same way I did, right. Cause I believed in it from the beginning. It was, it was incredible. It was like very reassuring and also frightening <laughs> having to talk to people <laughs> about, you know, something that you, that you made, especially this person is always very hard. 
but it was it was amazing. It's it's crazy that like Cameron said, every time he texts me, oh, there's this other award. So like, you know, thinking that that film got legs was already crazy that it would run this far was even crazier. Yeah, it it truly has been unbelievable. And I just did shed a little more light on how um sort of like run and gun and rod was we didn't even have music on the short in the beginning because again it, it wasn't a short it was just like a project for my dad then randomly a guy that i went to high school with we weren't even friends in high school we just like knew of each other he reached out and said hey i saw you you've been writing recently his name is fraser smith and fraser said i see you've been writing and if you ever need music for anything i just graduated you know school for music and i was like oh cool uh, i made the thing for my dad i'm not gonna like pay you but uh if you want to throw some music magic on here like i may use it but i probably won't and then he put the music on there and i was like pedro listen to this <laughs> and after yeah. listening to it pedro was like there's no way we can't have the music on there when we show it to your dad because it just it really just tied everything together so it's funny mm-hmm. how like this thing that we really just pulled together and it was just like something that we thought was powerful but simple like we just like how do we get this done quickly and efficiently and what happened was we made such a specific story for one specific person that ended up being a universal story. Um, and then for, for us for the past four years, it's just been wild to go to a festival and speak in front of an audience and see people cry. And suddenly I get message, I get screenshots of text messages of people saying gate check to their father or a gate mm-hmm. check to their best friend, like having their daily and weekly check-ins because this five minute short that we made for my dad inspired people around the world. It's, it's still to this day just crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Let's also talk about representation on screen, something that is um super important to me and to us, I'm sure all here. Um, and uh I want to bring this around to everyone, but let's start with you, Cam cameras, to also talk about um how perhaps this inspired you to continue um telling personal slash universal stories and maybe you can share a little bit about uh she dreams at sunrise with us yeah absolutely um i think this short taught me a lot and one thing that it taught me was how important it is to see black faces in the animation space um both behind and on camera uh, or on screen rather um i think that it was really important to me when we were making this to have the two black superheroes shot in it because it's just something that is so simple but so meaningful to me and also having personal stories to people of color in animation i think we're so used to seeing nowadays things are thankfully changing but for most of our lives a lot of white faces um in animated films and shorts and this film truly inspired me to make my next animated short film, which was She Dreams of Sunrise, as you said, which is a short that is about when I was a caretaker of my great aunt. And it was both a representation of just Black people in a Black story, but also showing a young Black 18-year-old kid taking care of an older Black, you know, seven, 72 to three-year-old woman at the time. Um, because that's one thing that I really wanted to see is Black people just taking care of other Black people. And, you know, uh, especially in that sort of switch of age. Um, So, yeah, I think showing that diversity of it not only makes people watching it feel more connected to people of color, because animation has this thing where it feels like no matter who you are, what you are, when you watch animation, you feel like you can be part of that story. You You can always be those people because animation in a beautiful way isn't real 
And it's so unreal that it feels real. So when you're watching an animated movie or a short, you have this ability to sort of dive into it fully because it's almost like watching a dream rather than when you're watching live action, you're seeing another human being. But animation, when you see somebody of color and you go into that world, you can suddenly sort of, I don't know, it, you can you can be closer in their shoes. You can, you can empathize and sympathize and relate to them much more. And I feel like that's been so important to me, especially since after making these shorts, I've been looking around and I am one of the only uh, young black men doing what I'm doing in the animation community. And although I love uh, live action very much, I do have, I do feel this need to continue what I'm doing so that I can open the door for other young black people, you know, to, to do this as well, because I feel like the more people that look like me and us behind um, the animation world, the more of these stories that we can tell and that we can see. Um, so, yeah. Fantastic. Um, and Carlos, um, for me, Home is Somewhere Else was also so resonant um, because of the way that it shows this um, cross-cultural experience and sort of um, especially uh, children living on both sides of immigration and also that it validates Spanglish as a language. <laughs> um, so I think that there are really interesting um, layers to both um choosing a different uh, representational style to, again, getting back to what Cameron said about making the personal universal um, and allowing more people to both see kind of a quote unquote literal representation of the many cultures um, that make up our world, um, but also giving it more space and, and letting you sort of connect in different ways and not be bound by a photographic realism. So um, tell us about the thoughts that you and Jorge had in terms of um, representing um, the realities of your subjects in Home is Somewhere Else. Well, one of the things that Jorge and I have always talked, I mean, we've been work, we, we've been friends for over 30 years, but we, we, we have been working for over 25 years together and we are always wondering you know uh, especially like how do you get the the emotional aspect of these stories uh, through uh, because for instance most of the documentaries uh, that I see that are let's say about migration they focus on the system and they focus on what the system is doing wrong. And uh, it's very valuable to have this, uh, you know, like this other kind of representation. It's very valuable to have all the data about what's happening. It's valuable to analyze and to rationalize uh, what, what, this, uh, what are these two countries now being Mexico and the U.S., but any two countries, what's, what's the relationship with migrant families? But we, we have always wondered, uh, why don't we do it, you know, from the, from the emotional point of view of the families? And uh, I think that this is, we've been very surprised by, for instance, when, when we went to the San Diego Latino Film Festival and we had an incredible screening uh, it was packed, uh, and and you could see, you could feel everyone that was laughing out loud and then crying, and you could feel that they knew what everything that the film was talking about. Personally, they had experienced that. 
And most of the, of the comments afterwards were, thank you for this representation. Thank you for this representation. Like representing families as, as a loving, you know, loving, warm relationship, even in, you know, in this context, I think is very valuable because it humanizes and, and it creates a bond of, because we, I mean, being, if you have a family or you, we have all been part of a family, just the thought of, of being afraid every day of family separation is quite a nightmare. And, and if that is told just through the real, uh, what people really feel about each other, then you don't have to talk about the system. It's already there. I think. I just want to say real quick, by the way, I wanted to congratulate y'all on winning at uh, San Diego Latin Film Festival, by the way. Um, but also I wanted to say one thing I forgot earlier was um, uh, to sort of echo some of the things that Carlos was just saying about representation. One thing that I was really happy about, grab my hand, that we didn't really have in context at first because it was from my dad and and people sort of brought to our attention through the festival circuit was showcasing the love between two black men on screen. Um, it was incredible to see people's reaction to that because that's why that's what sort of inspired the story to me. I didn't even know my dad and my uncle were saying gay check to each other every day until my uncle was in the hospital. And that the beauty of that is what brought me to Pedro to be like, yeah, I need to do something with this. Like there's a story here and I think it would help my dad sort of have a never ending sort of um, eulogy or, or milestone or, or tombstone or whatever you want to call it. Something that sort of keeps my uncle alive um, in his passing to sort of show the love between these two men, but also specifically black men, but specifically military Southern black men, <laughs> like the levels of, of the rarity that that was, it was very nice that we got to put that on the big screen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something really interesting that um, both of your films do is that uh, they upend the perception, hopefully the misperception, but um, sometimes it's on the nose of documentary, you know, really sort of focusing on the the challenging, the uh, sometimes desperate uh, stories of people and them feeling like they're being told from the outside, right? So um Kudos to you all for um, really being thoughtful um, in terms of your representation um, of, you know, the the beauty and the complexity and the multifacetedness of families of color. So thank you. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on that um, you both have expressed in different ways, but I really want to dig into it now, um, given that we're having this conversation around Doc Leipzig's festival and also um, coming from a festival myself is um, just what uh, you think the impact of um, watching films communally of actually gathering in a theater um, and having that viewing experience together, sharing um reactions together, having uh, interactions with the audience, um, what that impact has been for you. Um, so, Camrys, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I think that uh, going to the, to the theater and watching a movie is one of my favorite pastimes because there's something about it that's quite meditative. meditative. Um, I love the idea and the concept of going somewhere to experience art and my phone cannot be on. I like that I cannot contact other people and they cannot contact me for a, couple, for a few hours. 
Um, and also, as we know, art reflects life, life reflects art. So in many ways, we are able to learn a bit about the world around us slash show an audience a little bit about the world around them. And we just have their attention for a bit, like for this for this small moment of time, the small part of your day and your week and your month and your year, you're allowing me to tell you something. And you're allowing yourself to not be distracted by anything or anyone in order to receive that info, that story, that message. So I think it's one thing that I don't believe will ever die because it is something that we, I think we can all agree that there is a magic when watching a film in a theater. Hmm. Yeah, to me, I think there's something about uh, sharing with people that are different from you uh, stories like these, especially, you know, Home Somewhere Else and, and our, our film, I think it's, it shows you the raw power of story, you know, like if you see all these people that maybe have nothing to do with you, they have all different backgrounds, but they all like gather in one place and they all were touched in some way by the same story, right? Like even the, if the characters don't look like you, if the characters don't represent what's going on with you right now, you get something out of it that will reach right and that's you know seeing that happening live you can you know you can read on internet reviews and, and comments and everything of people uh people's reaction of something but being there and you know at the end of the movie seeing the faces that are results of the same film that you just watched is it's just incredible too yeah for for me i mean we we have seen our film so many times that there's a point where you have already memorized it and sometimes you know when you're in a theater when someone is gonna laugh and then if they don't laugh you say oh my god they it didn't work and sometimes <laughs> but i think that it's what it's like the greatest gift when you're a filmmaker and and you are it's it's this opportunity to be surrounded by people that are feeling something through your movie uh, we always talk about San Diego, the one screening in San Diego, because you could feel the the room breathe. I mean, it was it was like if it was alive, and everyone was like very in. You, you can hear the, the the breathe when they are uh, moved, and and the the laughs of some things that maybe for you are are not so funny, but someone connects so. It it was it has been really really incredible to have the chance to beat all these years since we first screened it, and to be in so many different places in with so many different contexts. Um, sometimes you think that just people who have lived these kind of stories will connect, but then you learn that, and that's I think that's the beauty of this that you you are making something that it's a very particular story you you achieved to make it like universal and when kids from all ages and all nationalities uh, approach to you at the end and tell you i feel the same because i also was born in the u.s and my father and no and so yeah i think that's beautiful i think that's one of the greatest things that this movie has gave us back and also, you know, like, it's been funny because we are not the first pick from a documentary film festival, but 
we were at ITFA and we won the best documentary for young audiences award. And we are not the first pick from animate animation festivals, but we had our world premiere in NSC in a fishing competition, and it was like we are in NSC. <laughs> and and then we were at the New York International Children Film Festival. And we have been now asked for from other children film festivals to, to screen it there and from Latino film festivals. And you know, this is this is something that is quite complex. And and we like that because you're meeting very different uh, audiences. And last weekend we we received a beautiful award from the Mexico City International Children Film Festival. And their jury were like 12 uh, kids from six to 13 years old. And, and when they gave us the award, the kid that was, you know, that took the mic and started to tell why they were giving, he was like seven years old or eight years old. And he was being like so incredibly professional reading the, the what the jury had written. And it was so direct, so honest, and so personal that I'm like, I mean, are we going to lose this? Are we going to lose going to the cinema, being as as storytellers, just being there when when audience is experiencing your film? I, I, I cannot imagine. For me, a movie theater is like a temple and you know, in Mexico, the Cinematheque, Jorge and I always go there and, and, and say, this is incredible place. You know, just people honoring this, just going to see film and honoring that as, as something important for, for their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've seen how how well your films connect with audiences. And I think one of the takeaways that um, I want people to have is um, really grounded in like your suggestions for practice. You know, we love talking about theory um, and that's important. But um, so often, you know, the excitement and um, the way the audiences are moved in particular young audiences and inspired, they're very curious to to have more insights into your practice and sort of where they could go next. So I'd love just a little bit of takeaway. You you both have been so eloquent about the way that you exchange ideas um, as teams, but if you want to maybe give a few suggestions to our listeners out there who are inspired by this conversation um, and want to deepen their own practice, whether they're coming from documentary animation or what have you, um, but what would you say to them? So is the question kind of like what what do you say to like to find a co-director, like to find a collaborator or sorry, let me clarify. Um my question is really just a general one about um generating generating ideas um and how any kind of practical thoughts about your practice, sort of what has worked for you in terms of um developing an idea and actually getting it to realization on screen. And a lot of what I'm hearing today really sounds like deep listening and collaboration and freedom in terms of exchanging ideas, whether that's visually, whether that's through concepts, um, but mm -hmm. a sort of back and forth, it sounds like. What I'll say is, uh, as a director, I've only been directing now for four years, and I hope that I never lose this. Um, 
I, I'm constantly feeling like I'm only as good as my team. Um, slash, I'm constantly feeling like I need to work with a team that is much better what they do than I am at what I do. So whenever I'm working on a project, I love to have someone on my direct team that I think you're so good at what you do. I can say anything to you and you will either get what I'm saying or you have a better solution. So working with people like Pedro, where I just like say, I have this crazy idea for this short film and it's, and you know, this, this dialogue and there's scenes and this, this, and there's that. And for him to go, yes, but you know, yes. And we could do this version of it where the thing that you presented me works, but here's another idea. And then one of my best friends, Kosi Barnhart did something similar for our comic book tower, where I pitched them this concept. And the next day, they sent me this email of like, you don't have to use this, but here's a bunch of ideas of what you could do for this comic book of yours, which made me then ask them to be my co-writer. Like finding people that not only inspire you, but you can also inspire. Like it feels like it's someone that you can build on top of. You can build um, a, the, the perfect version of the story that you're trying to tell. I think that's how I like to direct is um, collaboratively. I, I like to make sure that I'm directing as a community because if you're not listening to, you know, all the people around you, then there's no way that you can come up with the best version of what this film can be. Yeah. Um, one advice that I would give or a suggestion is um, for someone that wants to put their ideas out there is just let the medium inspire but not limit your output. You know, like from like several talking points that we had today, um, Jorge, for example, in the beginning when he was talking about um, document, like animation being a, a good entry point for a documentary, I think vice versa also works. You know, like an animation, especially in the West, is always viewed as something for kids, right? So it's like at one point in your life, you just abandon that medium and then you try to focus on something else. But being you know, an animated documentary, I think it brings back this attention to, oh, animation can tell real stories, right? So there's no, there's no limitation to the medium. This is the medium that we, we chose. We gave our reasons why, and uh, that's how we, we found our voice. But it shouldn't, you know, if we had to tell the stories in some other way, I think it wouldn't have stopped us, you know, if we believed in what we were saying. Yes, and 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 for us, I think the maybe the most important uh and the best decision we took and that was and it was the reason why we could finish this film on time and with the limited budget we we had was to understand that this was a collaborative process that it it wasn't just us trying like directors or producer to to make this with and to, with with all the effort, but to ask for help for a lot of people, for friends, for uh, different studios, we 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 reached three independent studios that also, as us, are very little independent animation studios that are called. One is called uh, Yamarada, uh, the other one is Cassiopeia, and the other one is Virus Mecanico. They neither. Uh, None of these four studios, including us, had ever made a, a feature animated film. And I think that if if we had tried to make it by ourselves, 
I, I don't know if we could could have make it. I think that the the reason why we could do it is because we said let's join our forces and and let's make the the workflow uh, like more horizontal in the sense that it's not just the director saying to the animators now you do this and to the storyboard but let's all sit in the same table and let's talk about this scene what do you what do you imagine how uh what's what's happening when Evelyn is telling her grandmother about her fear of not supporting her family and suddenly the storyboard artist remembers something about his childhood and the feeling of her grandmother combing no the, the hair of of her family and then he he came out with this idea that it's now one of the most beautiful scenes of the film and that we that we like a lot and like this example there's a lot of scenes and and sequences in the film that came from the ideas of the of the a lot of more than 70 artists that we work with uh, in the in the studios and uh, for us i think that was like maybe one of the best parts to be able to to have this continue uh, this uh, creative process that was always open and uh, i think that defined the the spirit of the film and i think that when you see this film and and you see so much like layers and details it's because it comes from many so many peoples and so many energies and so many spirits i think that's what what made this film that it has a lot of people say it has a lot like a lot of heart i think it has a lot of hearts like hundreds of hearts so i think that's what i most like about and what i would advise to ask for help always i love that hundreds of hearts and I, I i would say you know uh, just do it you know just do it because like now that you know like a lot of of the storytellers in our world come from going to school and studying something and they tell you you know to do everything you know like to plan everything and to get your budget ready and to get the money and to get you know and and then it's like you know if if you're not going to do all that and you're not going to get all the money to do what you, what what it is that you want to do you're not going to do it and you know contrary to this if you're just doing it you know then you discover that you can do it and then you know that's like a, a start for a career attitude as well uh and then you find friends that help you. And then these friends become, you know, the most valuable assets of, of your creative relationship. Uh, and uh, I think that this is what I would advise anyone. Just do it. You know, it's difficult, yeah, to do documentary and animation, put it all together. It's difficult. Yes, it is. But just do it. You know? I love it. Well, I've got to thank the four of you for just doing it <laughs> and doing it so beautifully in this amazing, inspired conversation. Um, I encourage you all to check out these 
fantastic films and filmmakers. Um, there'll be links um, associated with the podcast. Home is Somewhere Else is an incredibly uh, meaningful film that uh, has real impact behind it. Um, and heartily encourage you to check that out. Grab my hand, a letter to my dad, starting out as a personal story that is obviously so meaningful to so many um, and so inspiring. And I'm so grateful to the four of you for being here. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you very much. I also, thank you again. So nice to meet you all. Yeah. Right back at you. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and I'm excited for us to gather somewhere in person again, perhaps at Doc Leipzig, perhaps at the New York International Children's Film Festival, but definitely the um, the importance of um, being in community and in dialogue, um, both virtually and in person, um, can't be overstated. So thank you. I also want to give a special shout out and thanks to Annalisa Reitfeldt and Lucy Mukherjee, who have helped to um, facilitate the Doc Leipzig podcast and have been really important um, thought leaders leaders um, in this space as well. So very appreciative. Um, and again, check out these beautiful films and filmmakers and be inspired and just do it. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thanks so much, MC. Thank you. Thank you all. <laughs>